0: The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. So they'd heard about these Israelites, these people, this nation of slaves that took out the world's superpower, took out uh, the Egyptians, heard about the fact they came into the cross over the Jordan River from the east and wiped out. Uh, the city of Jericho by just walking around it seven times. You don't have to fight or lay siege to it. They're intimidated, freaked out, thinking, we have no chance. Because they're not, Gibeon is not a nation, it's a tribe. They have no chance, and so they resort to deception like Grant just read for us. And God had made it very, very clear. You can look at the scriptures if you want on your own. In the book of Exodus, chapter 32 and 34, he explicitly tells his people When you go there, do not make a treaty with these people. Drive them out, wipe them out. If you make a treaty with them, you'll you'll get a mesh in their culture, and they have demonic, destructive things that are making a mess of their whole civilization. They'll just make a mess of you. Serve me and me only. Don't make a treaty with them. But these people recognize this and go, okay, we have to do something to trick them into not wiping us out. And so like they, they got old clothes and moldy bread. Uh, Gibeon is six miles away from where the people of Israel are encamped around Jericho and Ai. Six miles away. And it says there that they, uh, they, they got told in, in chapter 9. Look at, look at it. Verse, uh, verse. Look at chapter 9, verse 9. We have heard... Of the might of the Lord your God, we've heard about everything you've done. And this nation of slaves who don't, doesn't have an army yet, they don't know anything yet, it's a little bit like, people have heard about us. And maybe they're not thinking as clearly as they should. Sometimes flattery can get you in trouble all, all, all the time. And, and so they, it says they examined the food. In my Bible, I have this these verses, these verse 14, with a circle around it. Some things underlined and highlighted there. It says this. So the Israelites examined their food, and they had had back and forth conversations. They examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. And then Joshua made a treaty with them. Understand something here. This, the people of Israel, God's people, were not sloppy. They didn't go make an emotional decision just rush into something. They did their due diligence, It's just that they were alone. They didn't seek God. And you need to write this down today. Pastor Beth here, we were brainstorming talking about this this week. This is a great point she had looking at this story. It says this, our culture goes to great lengths to deceive us. Our culture goes to great lengths to deceive us. Uh, What they do, uh, it's it's this idea is they, they offer the bait, but just don't tell you there's a hook in there. And like any good fish, all the fish can see is, oh, food. And go in there to get, the fi- there to get it, and they get wiped out by the hook that's there. Our, our culture does it. I was driving around uh, a couple days ago. Some of you have seen this on the Amazon delivery vehicles. You know what it says now? Caution, contents may create happiness. They're lying to you. They're deceiving you because it will create happiness. You know how long the happiness lasts for? Maybe till the end of the day. If you're lucky, and then you know what you, you have to do? I need to get something else again. Just the adrenaline rush, okay. happiness, happiness, happiness. I'm thinking I'm gonna find it there. The Bible's also gonna tell us that not just our culture, but your own heart will lie to you and deceive you. We all people all the time say, be true to yourself, just follow your heart. Following your heart is a sure way to ruin your life. Scripture is gonna tell us, man, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And some of you are going, yeah, I remember the things. That would probably explain my first two marriages or financial decisions we made or stuff like that going, I just followed my heart. Ooh, it felt so good and we didn't really pay attention to making great decisions there. And then we also have an enemy who's against us. So you have the culture and the world out there, you owe me your own heart and soul that's, that's going to jack you up. And then we have a, an enemy called Satan and demons and people go, do you actually believe in those? Absolutely. You think there's demons everywhere? Everywhere I think there's demons. We don't see them all the time. We tend to think it's all just the exorcists and those crazy, you know, spinning heads and spewing stuff out and speaking in crazy weird voices. But you have an enemy that's out there to deceive you. Their job is not so much to attack you, just to trick you, just to deceive you. And so because our culture grows to great lengths to deceive us, we need to recognize that we're going to be very prone to all kinds of deception. And the deception is sometimes to do things that are wrong, and, and just God says, "Thou shalt, thou shalt not," and we don't do it. Most of the time, what our enemy' trying to get us to do is not to be wrong, but to be stupid. I've said it here over and over again over the years, your sin and stupidity often end up at the same destination. And be very, very careful with that. Just because it's not wrong, doesn't mean it's not dumb and not going to wreck your life. we need write this down. We need God's power to attack the obvious enemies. There's obvious enemies out there, but that's not going to be our problem. See, If you know it's an obvious enemy, it's not going to get you, right? If you go out there and... But the the enemy you never see coming, the subtle one, write this down. We need God's wisdom to detect the subtle enemies. We don't just need power. We need to think. They did not make a good decision here, but they had done their due diligence. They had done a lot of the things that the podcast and decision-making 101 books would tell you you should do to make good decisions. They just didn't check with God. So I want to help us today learn to make better decisions. Maybe not to make great decisions yet, but what if we could just make better decisions than we're making now? The first thing I want to tell you on this, if you forget everything else I say today, uh, two words to write down here. Slow down. We live in a world of boom, boom, something gets our attention. Boom, click, buy, send move into relationships, rush into relationships way too fast. Oh, my God, he's perfect. He's amazing. In 10 minutes, i we sleeping with him and going, how in the world did I get here? Slow down. Proverbs 19, two and three. We're going to be a lot in Proverbs here for some of the Pro- Find Proverbs 19. In my Bible, I have what's called a, a VIP in the margins of certain verses in Proverbs. It means very important proverb, very important principle. Look what it says here. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good haste makes mistakes. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. You know what he's saying there? People ruin their own lives by not thinking about their decisions. They impulsively rush into something and then they get mad at God. How come you caused this, God? How come you didn't stop me? God because I tried to stop you. I told you over and over again, slow down. Slow down, slow down. And the bigger the decision is, the slower you need to go. The slower you need to go. Uh, up on the, uh, on the screen, it's also I uh, made a little graphic thing here and it's kind of lame and silly. I made it myself. I don't understand graphics at all. So it's out of balance, out of whack. It's not even the right, it's like you, some of you are going to tilt right now because it's not quite in the middle of the screen. Some of you are that tightly wound, you know, you're twitching right now. <laughs> I need to make a better decision about graphics, not our graphics people do this stuff. But I thought of it later in the week. So um, a quick little grid to use here and I didn't want to do it as a, one, two, three, four, five, like a linear thing. I want to do it more holistically. That You need to do all of these things. But the, the, the most important one to do is to ask yourself when you're making a decision, what's the Bible telling me? What's the Bible telling me on this? Uh, there's all kinds of verses in the Bible that will tell us. I didn't put them all on your sheet today because I just didn't have enough. That we, put, we could fill up the whole note sheet on all the references about the importance of the Word of God. But the writer of Hebrews says it this way, the Word of God is living and active. It's not just words on a page. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will help you discern and help you make better decisions about who to follow, about who to listen to, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, who's pastor of a church in Ephesus, the booming city of Ephesus that was just a hot mess of impulsive decisions everywhere in their culture. And he says this, Hey, Timothy, uh, all Scripture found your life on on these words, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful for correction, for teaching, for instruction, righteousness, to help equip you for every good thing God has for you. Some people say all the time, Steve, I just wish God would speak to me. I wish I could hear his voice out loud. And you've heard me say it over and over again here. If you want to hear God's voice out loud, get your Bible out and read it out loud. You will hear, actually, God speaking out loud because the, it says here that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And we hear that inspiration of God and we think, ooh, inspired. That's not what the word inspiration actually means here. It's actually, it's theo, God, panustos, breath. It's the breath of God. It's when God speaks he speaks into the minds and hearts and souls of people through the centuries of time. They spoke those things, they wrote those things down, they recorded, and they're captured. It's the words of God literally for you today. If you want to hear God speak, get involved in it and do this. Psalm 119 says it this way. He says, when it comes to making good decisions, it says, your word is a, a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It's two things there. It's not just saying, "Well, he's not." What's he saying it's light for us. It sheds the light on things. It's a lamp for my feet, which means when I'm walking right here, and I'm wondering what should I do here, it'll shine light right here. It's also a light on your path. It'll show you what's going on out down the road where everybody else is kind of clambering around and making impulsive decisions. A lamp for your feet, a light for your path. Um, and then it's important too when you're going to check what God say about this. You can certainly go to Google and do the. Bible verses on addiction, Bible verses on dating, Bible verses on conflict, Bible verses on financial decisions. But you can find Bible verses and they'll get you a list of things there. And that's super important to do. For those of you that are newer to this, just starting, it's a great way to start. I want to tell you, though, there's a better way. And the better way is to, to preload it into your heart and soul and mind. Uh, Solomon. Writes in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2, he says, Look, if you want to live a successful life, if you want to make great decisions, he says, make the word of God, make wisdom the central priority of your life. And he says, and search for it like treasure. Download it into your life. over oh, he says, if you search for it and you look for it, make it a priority. You know what's going to happen to you? He says, Wisdom will no longer be just click download and wh- wh- which way should I go? Which way should I go? It'll be enter your heart and soul. It'll enter there. And then what's going to happen when a person you should date, you're not sure about, you're going to go, I don't need to go check the Bible, and I already know. And I'm going to go look at the Bible and see what it says, but I think I already have a pretty good idea of what I should do in this crisis case. When it comes to how I deal with a financial decision, it's just going to, it'll just kind of be there. So do both, but what you want to do is, if you wait, if you wait to see what the Bible has to say until you have an important decision, you'll end up going, i Floundering all over the place. So make it a priority. Saturate your life and soul with it. And then it's important when you look, what's the Bible telling me? Is then you want to ask the next question, what's prayer telling me to do? And let God, like, I want to pray about this and let God speak into my soul. And hmm, James says it this way. Jesus' little brother says it this way. He says, Hey, brothers and sisters, when you're making decisions, you don't know what to do, ask God. Ask God. He loves to give. He, he's not holding out on you. He says, and then he says, the reason sometimes you don't have wisdom that you want, you know why you don't have it? You didn't ask for it. You went out there just going boom, boom, and clickbait and checking around, and all that kind of stuff. He says, ask God what, what God wants to, to tell you. And and an important thing here is that oftentimes what God will do when you speak to him in prayer, he's all of a sudden going to do all these other five things you see in these uh, these circles here. He will call verses to your mind that you remembered that you wrote something. He'll just bring it to your mind. He'll lead you to certain people that you I, That's weird. He just led and got circumstances and all this kind of stuff will happen here. He'll help you. He'll, he'll speak through all of those things but you have to ask him about it. The, uh, the next question you need to ask yourself is not just what the Bible tell me, what's uh, What's prayer telling me, what are the facts telling me? I heard a guy, a guy who used to work for a church down in Vista say it this way, once you have the facts, the decisions are obvious. Our problem is when we're not looking for facts, we're looking for feelings. We just want to feel good. And so we just go based on all the advertising is lying to you. The algorithm is lying to you, just feeding your emotions, feeding your feelings. Now, look at me. Feelings are great. Feelings help you make decisions in your life. But if all you do is feel your way along, <laughs> Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25 says, there's a way that feels right to us, and it ends in destruction and death. You can't just go based on feelings. You've got to ask, what are the facts telling me? There's some great verses here. Proverbs 18, 17. Look at this verse. The first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. Now, you're thinking, okay, what's the verse about court? We kind of know that. You've seen court. This is not just about court cases. This is about, huh, the first person I talked to, or the first fact I checked, made it seem like we should get that jumbo loan on our house. In two thousand six, because you can just refinance it later again when the equity goes up, boom, and the whole economy explodes. You have to get all the facts, not just the ones that you like. You need to double check your facts. Uh, Sometimes too, be very careful with this too. Uh, Mark Twain uh, had had a little line. Uh, It's got kind of a little naughty word in it. It's it's he's he's not trying to be what it is. He says there's lies, damn lies. And statistics, like the worst kind of thing, you can find statistics out there to back up anything you want out there. If you're not careful, you just listen to you listen to a side, and we got to be careful here too, because sometimes too, when there's certain things I want to do or get or a relationship, I will find the facts that just validate my side of things. Double check the facts, uh, and then you need to ask yourself after we ask what the facts question is: What are people telling me to do? What are people telling me to do? And it's important when you get what people are telling me to do is write this down. It's not going to be up on the screen. It's wise counsel, not just counsel from friends, because if you're not careful, you say anything with people, you do with facts. I just listen to people that won't shoot straight with me. They don't care to shoot straight with me because they know if I don't tell them what they want to hear, they're going to get mad at me. So to make them happy, I'll just tell them, yeah, 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 it seems good. Just do what you want. I, I'm telling you right now, in my life, when I'm making big decisions, I always go find one or two people that I know are going to disagree with me. It's the way I keep, I've kept myself out of so much trouble in my life. You have to seek out the opposite position. There's a bunch of verses on this in Proverbs. Uh, so Proverbs 12, 15. See, the reason this is important is that sometimes we think, just follow your heart, and we're such an individualistic kind of people. You're, you know, the whole classic, your truth is your truth, and just follow your own heart and soul. Bible's going to tell us, look, you can't do that. you got to get other people's interpretation in there, especially the bigger the decision is. Proverbs 12, 15 says it this way. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Proverbs 13. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. People who despise advice are asking for trouble. Those who respect a command will succeed. Look at me for a second. Sometimes when you get advice, it's like, hey, g- g- let's check in here, and let's, oh, here's my perspective, and that's advice. Once in a while, somebody's going to go, hey, pal, that's a dumb thing. Don't do that. It will feel like a command. You're going to go, who are you to tell me what to do? And I go, Because I care about you. I love you enough to let you hate me, to let you be, be angry at me, to go, look, you're going to make a mess out of your life if you do that. Listen to those kind of people that will shoot straight with you, not just massage your fragile ego. Sorry, I should be quiet. I should make better decisions as I communicate. Proverbs 15.7 says it this way, the lips of the wise give good advice. Proverbs 15.22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Proverbs 24.6 says it this way, don't go to war, Without wise guidance, victory depends on man having many advisors. Now, some of you are sitting today going, I'm not going to war with anybody." What are you talking about here? The reason Solomon writes this, right, the book of Proverbs is not written primarily for you. Now, we read it and get a lot of it. You know who Solomon wrote it for? The future leaders of his country. The, the future king, his sons who would be king. And he tells them, hey, guys, you, have, you don't live in a world where there's checks and balances. There's not a judicial system. There's Congress and Senate. You know, if you're the king, do whatever you want. He says, and even being able to have that unlimited power, uninstructed power, he says, make sure you get advice from people before you make this big decision to go to war. So before you make a big decision to buy a house, before you make a big decision on who to date, who to marry, before you make a big decision to move somewhere, big decisions in your life, get lots of people who will shoot straight with you on that. And then Proverbs 25, verse 11 and 12, timely advice is lovely. It's not just strong and shooting straight, it's, Beautiful, it says here, like golden apples in a silver basket. To one who listens, valid criticism like a gold earring or other gold jewelry. It's so cra- crazy, precious, and valuable because we need to listen to other people. So you ask yourself, what's the Bible telling me? What's prayer telling me? What are the facts tell me? What are people telling me? Wise counsel. And then the last one is, what are circumstances telling me? What you do here is say, God, well, are, is things happen in my life that are going to there are what we call like divine co- coincidence. The Bible calls that providence. When God will open a door and close a door just circumstantially to lead you into something. There's a great uh, little uh, a story in 1 Samuel 14, verses 1 to 15. And in there, uh, Solomon is gonna go attack a Philistine uh, outpost. He's down at the bottom of the cliff and he tells the guy who's his personal, his, his assistant there, he says, if the Philistines say come up here and fight them, we'll know that's God telling us to go do it. If the Philistines say, hey, down, you wait there, down, you fools, we're coming out to get you, we're going to retreat and go away. And circumstance, we're looking for circumstances to, to guide us in those kind of things. That's a bit of what even happened here, starting the church, just real quick here, years and years ago, 20 years is our 20-year anniversary next year, but we, um, I was at a, a church, loved the church I was at, and this guy said, you should move to start a church. I went, Psh, that's dumb. I love what I was, I, didn't have, I was fine and happy, but I finally felt, okay, God, if you want me to do this, t- tell Denise first. I can't have my wife coming, if you want to, I will. And she wanted to come back from someplace, she calls me and says, hey, we should look for houses in Temecula, I went, hmm, okay, we'll see about that. And then, then she had this other great idea, what if, what if we talked to Greg and Kathy Sampson about coming out and start the church, and Greg and Kathy Sampson were like these people, that retired, he was an NFL football player, they helped start ministries, but they were kind of done with all that stuff, like, my, my thought was, all right, to keep the wife happy, <sighs> So I called him. I called him and said, Hey, Greg and Kathy, Denise had this crazy idea about you coming and start a church with us. And so they were on their way across the country to see their their son. An hour later they called me back. See if you're going to believe this. They had been through some really crazy crisis tragedy in their life, and they felt like we're not walking away from our faith. Well, we're never probably going to do that big ministry thing again. We're going to really go out there and be a key, key part of helping be part of a church, being on an elder team or being on like unpaid staff or something. It's not going to do that again. Just, and then we were reading this book called Purpose Driven Life. And as we were reading it, going across the country to go see our son, yesterday he said we were sitting there talking at our camps that we were camping and just felt like God was telling us. I got something big and next for you to do. And I called the next day. And then we showed up at the church parking lot where I used to work. And we were going to go drive out to here to go drive around the neighborhoods and the schools and see what's out there and see what the city of Temecula is like for them and for us. And on the voicemail that day, I got this uh, voicemail that says, Hey, Steve, my name is Katie Johnson. You don't know me, but I'm the principal of the newest elementary school in Temecula. And I think you should come to my school and do your church at my school. What you know back then is back then in the, in the early 2000s, every denomination and church group was sending church planters here like crazy because the place had grown from 20,000 people to 100,000 people in 10 minutes. Well, they need new churches there. Let's go, go, go. Opportunity here. We were like 15th on the list to get into a school site to be somewhere. And boom, just like that. See what God did here? Circumstances. Now, here's the important thing. As you do this, we need to do all of these. I would tell you, start with the Bible, start with prayer. But even if you don't start there, just get to it eventually, because sometimes you're going to opportunity is going to come up for you, and you're going to start doing the facts and your due diligence, like the people of Israel did here. And you'll look at all the facts, and it all seems to add up. It all seems to make sense as you run the pluses and minuses. You talk to people and get advice. You've got to do all of them. What does God say? And here's the tricky part. Look, put the diagram back up for me, for me again. You'll see it on your sheet. There is. No, not that one, the diagram, the picture one. You'll see here in the middle versus the outside, which circle is bigger? It's not a trick question. Yeah. Now look, circumstances and people and facts are important things to take into account, but I'm telling you right now, they're not reliable. Not as reliable as God. Write this down. It's already came up here. Louder voices, loud, excuse me, less reliable sources are louder than the reliable ones. And if we're not careful, all we see is the circumstances. All we see is our feelings and our emotions. All we see what people are telling us and all doing our due diligence and all that kind of stuff. He just stop. If you just stop and take a moment and pray about this and ask God, what does he have to say? And again, a quick little story. I, I know people here who've talked about, they had opportunities when, oh my God, my job and I've just got out of the military and I go, my, my moved out here. I, what job am I going to take? How am I going to do all this kind of stuff? And they were they, their, their first impulse is go, boom, first job, go take it. And they slowed down. They prayed about it. They talked to people about it. It slowed them down. They didn't take that disaster job. Instead, they got a better one somewhere else. There's all kinds of situations like that. Situations, people were dating people where they said, look, you probably need to break up with that person and go, I'm so glad God didn't answer my prayer about them and instead open up a door over here. Even here at Crosspoint here, years ago, we were uh, at a place where we had lost our lease. We no longer had a place to do church at the schools. And for about, some of you were here, at six months, we were homeless as a church. So we went and met at somebody else's church campus on a Sunday night. And then six months later, Uh, an opportunity opened up for us on Adams Street. A few of you were there then down on Adams Street. And so we got there, but we thought, you know, we're going to do a 10 a.m. Sunday morning service, but we thought we also probably need to keep Sunday nights going because a bunch of our churches used to Sunday nights. At the beginning, that worked really well. And then about six, seven months in, show up on Sunday night at 5.15, and many, many times on Sunday night, I would stay outside in the parking lot in the plaza just hoping somebody else would show up because I knew there are more people up in the band today than are going to be here at church. It doesn't mean that they weren't important. It we just felt like, what are we doing this? And all this work of, pe- of people having to, children's ministry, putting classes together and set up and tear down teams and the band coming back, all these volunteers and, and all that kind of stuff. And so our elder board got together and felt like, hey, you just run the numbers, do the facts, all that stuff. And all that kind of thing. In fact, one of the elders, Wes Wolf, was married to Lauren Wolfe, who was our children's ministry director at that point. It just makes sense. But he said, "Look, hey, this story came to mind. Let's just let's pray and ask God about it. So we prayed and said, God, if you want to steer us a different direction, want us to go someplace else, do something different, what is this? And I kind of thought, yada, 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 yada. We already know what we're going to do. We got done. And Wes, married to our children's ministry director, who was greatly impacted by Sunday night, said, guys, I don't know. But I think God's telling us we're supposed to keep that Sunday night service right now. And my first thought was, stupid Wes. (laughs) Just Frustrated about that. You know what happened, though, the next four weeks? The next four weeks, we hadn't really had any new people come to our church in a long time. The next four weeks, we had new, new people come every single weekend. You know what service they came to? Sunday night. One of them's still sitting right here today. Been here all these years. Yeah, crazy what God does. He, just listen to God. Watch what he does to kind of steer and guide and shift things around for us. Now, the people of Israel make a, God, the leaders make a terrible decision and they make a treaty with them. Look at it in verse uh, Joshua 9. It says, Joshua made a treaty with them, verse 15, and guaranteed their safety and leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. And it says three days later they discovered they were only six miles away and they go back, what are you doing here? And you would think, okay, we got defrauded, we got tricked, no fair, we're off. And yet it makes it clear here, look at verse 18. The Israelites did not attack the towns, for the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty, but the leaders replied, since we have made a commitment, sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. And it goes on to say that what they did was we can't touch them. We are going to go occupy their territory and make them work for us. Uh, we're not going to leave them here to harm us. But we're also not going to renege on our commitment that we made. Tricky part, when I make commitments, the ones that are easy, to, the ones that work out great for me, no problem following through, right? When the equity increases in my home, when great everything turns out great, and all that stuff, here's the tricky part. Many times in your life, you're going to make a commitment, you're going to make a decision And it's gonna be a little sideways and wonky, and it's gonna, do we really have to follow through on this? Do we really have to do this? And here's different ways we've had to wriggle out of commitments. Write this one down it's the pinky swear. You know, your kids do this, right? Maybe it's a different thing now. Maybe I'm just old now. The little kids, hey, if you, hey, mom, dad, you take me to do this? Yeah, I'm gonna take you. Pinky swear. That's the adult version of saying, I swear to God. I swear to God, or it's what we do today. We, we sign a contract without, you know. Again, the reason we have contracts today is because people don't follow their own commitments. If people just did what they were supposed to do, and so sometimes the idea, well, I didn't promise, I didn't sign anything, or I technically, you could find some way to wriggle out of it. If you make a basic commitment, look at Matthew chapter five, verse thirty-three. I get, get, get your, turn there in your own Bibles, navigate their your mobile device. Matthew five, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount recognizes. We're making a mess out of the world by all this crazy, ridiculous, legalese, uh, swearing to God and making commitments uh, rather than just following through on your word. He says this, verse 33. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. And now skip down to verse uh, 37. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Now, the truth is, guys, we live in a fallen world, and so con- I'm not saying you should never have contracts, never make, do the due diligence on things like that, but he's telling us this, what if we could become known as the kind of people that says it doesn't matter what the legalese on the contract says. It doesn't matter, well, I didn't swear to God, so I'm kind of out of the way on this. No, what if we just said, if you got known as the kind of person that says no matter what they say, if they say yes, they're going to do it, they do it. If they say no, they're not going to do it, they don't. And there's no... You don't have to check on them to, to make sure. The other one is what um, we're going to call passive promise breaking. It's calling just no follow through. For those of you that are nice people, not like me, I, am a, I'm a, I try to be kind. I'm not a very nice person uh, when it comes to I'm more just honest and just shoot straight and stuff like that. Nice people have a hard time with this one because here's what will happen sometimes. Because you're nice, because you like people, you care about people, uh, somebody asks you for help. Oh, yeah, I have compassion. I want to help him. And then somebody else asks for help. And yeah, I want to help him. And so you make all these promises. And at some point you go, I can't follow through on all this stuff. But I, made, I just wanted to. I, I just cared about him. I didn't want to displease anybody. And so you got to be careful with people pleasing. Uh, Proverbs makes it very clear. People, ple- people who want to please people fall into a dangerous trap. And you'll become known as somebody that you can't be trusted because you say this, yeah, 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 and you don't follow through. So be the kind of people follow through. Uh, and then the other one is too, it's just too difficult. Uh, sometimes we uh, don't follow through because it just gets hard. It gets difficult. And I, I'm not going to go through all kinds of scenarios like this. Some of you know exactly what this is like. The, but the one that the people of Israel wanted to do that day and the one that we will tend to do, uh, our biggest culprit on this one of wriggling out of commitments is it's not fair. Like, you tricked me. Now, look, we have a system in place. When people have defrauded you, there are legal remedies that you can take advantage of to go make sure you cover yourself. This is more the idea of, I just don't want to, and it's fair, it's the uh, what we already talked about. Some of us got, went to bankruptcy and got tricked into buying homes during the crazy early 2000s and went, what happened here? We got tricked. We got tricked on not reading the two-point font on the bottom of the credit card application that says if you are 30 seconds late, 27.9% interest. It's loan shark kind of interest that we sign on to. I think, too, with, I talked about it, too, sometimes with marriage, we, we get involved in relationships that we go, if we had, a, if we had a dated with our clothes on, I never would have married that person. I would have found out they were narcissistic, jerk, unstable, dot, 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 whatever. Here, so God's gonna say, slow down when it comes to marriage kinds of stuff. Uh, now look, God can redeem and restore stuff. Some of you in relationships like that where you like, we didn't do that exactly right. God can redeem and restore. I'm just saying, if you wanna set this thing up, slow down, and even when it gets difficult, and even when you do things pretty much right, even when you get it pretty much right, the counseling that I have done here, and I don't do much counseling here because I'm terrible at it. No, I'm not, because you sit in my office and you sit with me, and you sit down with me and go, what's your deal? What's your deal? Okay, stop doing that. Start doing that. Move on. Let's go. Now, Beth and Rob and, and Laura and all people here, they're great at counseling. They shepherd you, and they and, and you need that. But even when you pretty much do things right, I, what I've experienced in, in, in counseling is this, is um, they'll sit there, been married for three years, five years, whatever it is, and they'll look at the other person and go, I don't know what happened, but he changed. That's not the person I married. Those you who've been married for longer than 10 years, can you just all say, that's exactly what happens in marriage. The person you married is not the same person because they grew up, they changed, all this. Here's the deal with marriage, man. You... <laughs> We need to lower our expectations a little bit on marriage because we've been led to believe Little Mermaid and Jerry Maguire and, oh, they're awesome and beautiful and you complete me, all that kind of nonsense. Here's what marriage is. You say, there's one person that's going to make me crazy the rest of my life. I choose you. That's all marriage is. And I love you and it's great and it's beautiful and it's magical and crazy and blah at times. But that's all that marriage is. It's not fair. uh and we don't want to wriggle out of things too soon. And so the Bible is going to say, going to encourage us to even when we make a difficult decision, when we made a decision that was ugh, didn't turn out exactly right, we learn to keep our commitments even when it costs me. Look at Psalm 15. Psalm 15. David writes this song and he says it this way. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy heel, hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what's right. And then he gives a whole bunch of other boom, boom, boom. Look what he says down in verse 4. The end of verse 4. And they keep their promises even when it hurts. Even when it costs. Now, for a second here, recognizing we've got to be careful with this. In marriage relationships, especially, sometimes even work relationships, keeping your commitments, even when it hurts, does not give that person the right to abuse you. Physically, emotionally, mentally. You, that doesn't get the right to do that. You put a line of that and say, this far and no farther. You don't let that kind of nonsense happen. This is more the idea of it's just difficult and frustrating. I don't like this. And then some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is in the book of Ecclesiastes. So you're here in Psalms, in the book of Psalm here, go to go to the past Proverbs to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes just means the preacher or the proclaimer. This is a guy just kind of doing this long rant on stuff. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this, as you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. (laughs) I think he just told us to shut up. It's evil to make mindless offerings to God. It's evil to make mindless offerings to people. It's evil mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God's in heaven and you're here on earth so let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. (laughs) Too many words make you a fool. In other words, those who talk too much, well, let's just keep going. When you make a promise to God, don't Delay in following through. You might want to write: When you make a promise to anybody, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It is better to say nothing than to make, make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin, and don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. I was emotional. I got triggered. I got. I saw an ad on this. That would make God angry. He might wipe out everything you've achieved. What i tell you here is, hey, be slow making commitments. We make commitments, follow through on them. Just saw a great little miniseries on uh, the Disney Channel called A Small Light. I'd encourage you to, to, to get it and watch it. It's a story of the, the Frank family. Uh, somebody had to read the diary of Anne Frank, who was in the home of Amsterdam when the Nazis were there. She was a, Jew, a Jewish family. It doesn't really focus on her in there. You know what focus on? That girl right there. Her name's Meep. What a great name. She's the secretary for the Frank family business. And at the beginning, when things are getting bad, she just makes a commitment. She says, I'll take care of you. I'll get food. I'll get medicine for you. And the beautiful thing about this story is that she kept her commitment even when it got crazy, awful, terrifyingly difficult. Beautiful picture of what it means to keep your word even when it gets crazy, crazy difficult. And then uh, put this next picture up. Anybody know who this is? Look at him carefully. Nope. You know who it is? I didn't know who he was a couple weeks ago. His name's Tommy Cool. He's a senior at the University of Illinois. He's on the golf team. Uh, now, those of you who don't play golf, let me give you a quick little 30 seconds on it. Uh, golf is a ridiculous game that I try to play. It's 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 fun. But every year, there, are, there is a big golf tournament. There's four big ones, called the four majors. One of them is called the U.S. Open. It's probably the most challenging, difficult one in the world. It's an awful, terrifying, but only the elite of the elite golfers get to make that. He's a senior on the golf team. He gets to play what's called a qualifier. And if he finishes in the top two places, top two or three, he will qualify to be an amateur and be able to go play in the U.S. Open. And that day, he goes out and plays, and he shoots the course record, 62, and he qualifies for the U.S. Open. He's going to high five, and he's made it. It's awesome and amazing. And then he gets back to the, his room that night, and he starts thinking through the day that day, and a little technical rule comes into his mind. Having to do with what you can do to fix the ground when it's all messed up. And in some cases, when the ground's under repair, you can fix things. Like when the ball makes a mark, you can patch it and fix it. In some cases, you they, they call called aerate the greens. When they aerate the greens, they aerate your lawn, they, they spike the greens up and let the water and the fertilizer get in there to make them all good. But when they aerate them, it creates little bumps on them. And a lot of times when they're doing tournaments like that, they make it very clear, hey, don't worry about that. You fixed the, fixed the aerated greens marks. And nobody had thought to say anything about it that day. They just went out and played. But because they hadn't given permission to do that, he was technically in violation of the rules. Now, it's this minor thing Nobody's ever going to catch him. Nobody's even going to question Like It's it's just a dumb, silly little thing. You didn't cheat. Do some crazy little thing right there. But he recognized, hmm. And so he called the PGA and told him what had happened. It resulted in his golf score being disqualified, and he was not not able to play in the U.S. Open next weekend. And you look at that and go, man, keeping your word is terrible. Who would do that? You know what I know about that guy right there? That guy goes into business someday. I'm going to trust that guy. Because that guy, even when it cost him, he followed through. He was honest in those commitments. Hope and pray for you guys today. This simple little lesson from the story of the Gibeonites. Moldy bread and baggy luggage will help you make better decisions. And how awesome would it be? If we come, become the kind of people here that we keep our word, even when it costs. Band's coming up right now. Give you a chance to respond to some of this. We're gonna sing some songs today. We're singing a new song today? Awesome. So, uh, are you gonna sing the song today? Yes. So, you just said you're gonna do it, so now you have to. You have to follow through on your commitments. I'm uh, gonna give you a chance to come and receive prayer. You may be making decisions today. We you have challenges, issues in your life that you walked in here today with, our prayer team is in the back of the house. The lights are going to go down here for a few minutes as we sing these songs. You can wander back there and then uh, let them pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. And then we we'll give you a chance to receive communion here every week. It's bread and juice symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus. It's in the back corners of the room and the front corners of the room. And I thought about it some this weekend and thought, how does okay, communion fit in moldy bread and luggage and decision-making and keeping your commitments, and I thought about this. God is absolutely committed to his greatness and his holiness. He says, and when you rebel against me, the commitment I have is you are separated from me, and you are under the wrath and the judgment of God. That's the punishment, that's that's what God's committed to. And he made that commitment, and then we absolutely did it. We rebelled against him, and we suffered the wrath and the judgment of God. And the beautiful, amazing thing about our God is that he didn't just follow through on that commitment. By, he, he could have just said, well, you know what? They're nice people. I love them. Let's let them off the hook. I'm God. I can do what I want. You know what he did is he followed through on that commitment, and he didn't pour out his wrath on you and me. He becomes a human being and pours it on himself. Takes the judgment and the penalty for your sin and my sin. That's what we celebrate as we receive communion today. So Jesus today in this place. with the decisions and commitments that we will make this week, this month, and the years to come, God, would you just help us? Would you help us to move beyond the loud voices of circumstances and feelings and people and posting? And would you help us listen to you? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.